Let's take note of this, ladies and gentlemen. Committing ourselves to prayer. We are going to, uh, at one o'clock today, fairly sharp, gather together uh, to pray. And I hope that you're here for that. If you're starved to death, right after I'm finished, run out, grab a hamburger, get it. It's just doing it. Okay. I can see Sagan's just sitting there with the hands on her shoulders. She's doing nothing, but it's just going. So, um, at any rate, we're going to be, uh, celebrating a time of prayer. Get something in if you need to. Rush back. Be here at one o'clock. Um, if you can wait and you want to eat, Later on, then please do. But we still want you here at one, and we're going to pray together, and God is going to bless us richly. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, this is an exciting time in our church that we get to spend uh, these few moments in prayer. And when I say a few moments, I, I'm expecting we'll be here for about an hour and 15 minutes uh, praying together. So please come at one o'clock, and we're going to enjoy that time together. Okay. And now I'm wanting to move on. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. Can I, that's okay. Can I control it now? We, we've been, we've got gremlins this morning in this thing. I don't know what's going on with our, with our computer, but it's not right this morning. Okay. Are we good? Maybe? Hurry. Turn to Acts 2. <laughs> Last week, we talked about how God is present with us. Specifically with the Holy Spirit. And I read some passages out of the Gospel of John that talked about living water and living bread and how the Spirit is there in living water to raise us up to God and to bless us through His presence in us. And we talked about living bread, how God has given us Jesus as this living bread who nourishes us and fills us, eternally giving us real food sent by the Father to us. And that is indeed a great blessing. All of that was a little bit less on the practical side of spirituality and a little bit more on the ethereal side. We were talking about concepts that were a little bit fuzzy when you talk about the presence of God. What exactly does it mean for God's presence to be with us? What does it mean for his spirit to be in us? Well, I I mean, we can say, well, it means to have fruit produced. And that's wonderful. Uh, But what does it really mean when we even say that God is with us? Today is a little bit less like that, a little bit more practical, I think. And let me say, and this is kind of what Jonathan had said a little while ago about what I was going to say this morning. It's interesting that we're talking today about the place of the church in our spirituality. Because the fact is that Shane is the church. And Steve is the church. And Nicholas is the church. I'm the church. You're the church. So... It's kind of to talk institutionally when we say, what's the place of the church in our spirituality? It's almost like, you know, who who are we going to blame? Who can we point to if the church hasn't done a good job of bringing out in us spirituality? When really, the church is just us. We are the church. And you don't have anybody to look to aside from yourself. When it comes to asking the question about my spirituality, it's like I can say, um, you know, the, the Carter family has been really good to me or the Carter family really means a lot to me. But the fact is, I'm the Carter family. 
I am part and parcel of it. You can't separate the Carter family from me. I'm part of it. And so to talk about what the Carter family is or does, I can't stand removed from that, detached, and refer to the Carter family as if I'm not it. When in fact, I am it. And it's the same way with the church. To talk about the church and what the church should be doing, or to point fingers at what the church didn't do for me, or for me to have all kinds of expectations that the church isn't meeting. Meet your expectations, church. Because that's what you are. You are the church. And when it comes to spirituality, I think this is especially true. We have the responsibility for being the spiritual persons that God wants us to be. So this morning, I want that to stand behind what we're doing. I am going to go to three places that I talk in which I'm going to point to uh, that really do show the church as having a responsibility toward our spirituality. But there's a sense in which we have our own responsibility toward our, our spirituality. And we just need to recognize that from the beginning. Okay, Acts chapter 2, uh, page 772 in the Pew Bibles. And I'm going to read uh, verse 42 and following. You know this passage very well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Don't you love this spirit within the church? Like, don't you love the fact that this is what the church was and, in fact, should be? All this description is nothing more than a group of people who are saying, we together love Christ. And this is how, as a group of people who love Christ, we're going to live our lives. And so this is not an institutional kind of description. You can't hear the apostles or anybody here ready to point to themselves and saying, well, here's what the church is doing for me, or here's what the church isn't doing for me. Instead, this is just a group of people who love Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and are saying, we're going to act like this because we're Christians, because we love the Lord. It's just a beautiful description of what the church is supposed to be. Now, if you flip over to Acts chapter 4 and look at verse 32, you'll see something fairly similar. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was, uh, was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What a beautiful description of what the church was doing. I love this. It's just, it's rich and full and deep and non-institutional. It's just, again, Christians who love the Lord, serving each other, blessing one another, and clearly the Holy Spirit is right at the heart of who they're being at this point. And I just want to say this morning, this is what spirituality is. The church is to represent this kind of spirituality. So when, when I say, what's the role of the church in our personal spirituality... Well, there's a sense in which 
We are all the role. We are it. Living out this life together as God is present among us. And we're just being what God wants us to be. It's like our whole spiritual lives are just caught up in what it means to be this. And so we could say something like this. Their spiritual life together was their whole life. Or we might say their whole life was their spiritual life together. That's just what it meant for them to be spiritual together, worshiping God, being what God wanted them to be, living this life out as the church corporate. And, and sometimes I just think, man, I, I really hope we're that. Like I would like to think if there was a description written about us, the way that there was a description written about the early believers in Acts chapter 2, I'd like to think that the description would fit. Like it would be similar. Here's what they did. Here's who they were. It wouldn't be talking about some institution. It'd just be talking about some people who love Jesus and get together and serve him and worship him and live out this spiritual life together in that way. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Page 813 in the Pew Bibles. And I'm going to read from verse 4 here. And this, too, is a fantastic description of the kind of things that the church was. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. And, and by the way, I want you to notice, like I, I do tend to focus on, on Trinitarian kind of comments in Scripture. Notice how Trinitarian this is. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the, ma- uh, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. And the idea is that he does this in the church. And I want you to focus especially on verse 11. Verse 11 says that he does this specifically as he, the Spirit, determines. He's the one who does this. That means that the gifts that are active within the church are not by my choice. I don't create them. I don't choose them. I don't even carry them out on my own volition. This specifically says that the Holy Spirit is in charge of the gifting. We need to... Take that seriously, I think. And so if Jesus, through his spirit, or the spirit decides that he wants to give us certain gifts, and he does, what am I to say? Except, praise the Lord. Thank you for giving us those gifts. I don't know what they might be, but whatever they are, as they come from Christ, I'm going to honor him. And he's going to do that just as he pleases. He gifts me, or if he gifts me, I should say, or our church was something that we would describe as miraculous, well, wonderful. Uh, And I don't know what that might be. But if in some way there's a miraculous kind of gifting that the Spirit gives us, and that happens, then praise the Lord. That's what He chooses to do. He's the one who determines that. 
And then if he chooses to gift us in ways that seem to us less miraculous, well, then shame on us for not seeing how all gifting is in fact a miracle from the Holy Spirit. And so maybe he won't give me some gift that to me looks miraculous. But when he gives me a gift and I exercise it in his name, it's a miracle as the Holy Spirit works within me. And so part of what it means to be the church is to be a church that recognizes the Holy Spirit active in us, gifting us in all kinds of ways. What's important is that we be willing receivers and willing exercisers of his gifts when he gives them. So he gives you a gift. You need to exercise that gift. In fact, you need to be trying to discern what it is that Christ may have given you as a gift. And then I would say this. If God has gifted you with some ability and you don't use it for the benefit of the church, well, you might as well go bury your talent. Jesus talks specifically about that, about those who just actually take their talent and bury it. In fact, there's some pretty harsh words from Christ regarding those who actually take their talents and bury them. It's kind of frightening, actually. And so we need to be those who are ready to receive the gifts that the Spirit gives us in service to the church. And just like they did in Acts chapter 2, or just like they did in Acts chapter 4, work those gifts out in the body of Christ, ministering in the various ways that he calls us to. That's part of what it means to be spiritual in the church, to be gifted by the Holy Spirit with those spiritual gifts and then to use them. Now I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. It's on page 828 in the Pew Bibles. Yep, there we go. And I'll read this passage, but I have to tell you that for me this morning, this is a little bit difficult to read. A little bit hard for me to say all the things that I want to hear. And partially because of just the the role this passage plays, uh, even in my own life. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I hesitate to uh, to say this because I'm a leader in our church. There's no good way to say this, in fact, uh, and to have it come out right, um, because I am a leader in the church. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, the fact is, is that in addition to this gifting that God has given the church as far as leadership, and he has gifted the church with leaders, there is also an inherent call in this passage to the church, to all of us, to actually follow and listen to those who are gifted with leadership roles within the congregation. And again, you can see why it would be hard for me to say that. Some people might might think that those of us who preach and and serve in leadership roles in the church do so because we're just arrogant and we think that we have a role to play and we want to run things. (laughs) And that's actually not the case at all. In fact, I find that the brothers with whom I serve in leadership positions in our church are exactly the opposite when it comes to things like that. 
So I think it's okay for me to actually say we as sheep need to be great followers of these people who have been gifted by God for positions of service within the church. And so when there are shepherds, the sheep, in fact, need to follow. God people, God put those people in that place. And we need to be willing to say, yes, they're in that place, and we need to honor them. And so we need to bless them. We need to work uh, on their behalf. And we need to not make their job more difficult. And that, too, is part of what it means to be spiritual in the church, because as far as I can tell, the fact that God gave these people to serve in these roles in the church was a gift, a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual thing for leaders to serve within the church, which makes it, in fact, a spiritual gift and a spiritual action for sheep to follow. And so I pray that you are a great sheep. I'd love it if you would all aspire to be great shepherds. But I would love that if you're not, to be great sheep. Because the Lord needs that. He needs people to have that kind of spirituality in their lives. In fact, all that said, let me kind of head to the end here with these words. And, and this is one of those times when I want so badly for everyone to hear my heart more than I want you to hear my words. I was saddened a bit this week as I thought about what I wanted to share today. Because as I reflected on the ministry of the church in encouraging each other just to walk a spiritual path, and as I thought about the gifting that God has provided through His Spirit to bless us and build us up, And then perhaps especially as I thought about our leadership team and how hard our elders and ministry leaders and teachers and life group leaders work on behalf of the church. I reflected on how something is wrong when God's people have to be motivated and led and convinced and compelled and persuaded, and maybe even cajoled, or sometimes even scolded, in order to get them to seek after a profound spiritual life with God. This just doesn't make sense to me. Like, can you imagine those people in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following, who were completely devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then every day meeting together in the temple courts and sharing their possessions and goods, selling land and giving half of it to the apostles and saying, here you go, take and use this for the kingdom of God, taking their worldly possessions and just giving it to the Lord. Can you imagine those people needing to be conjoled into somehow being the spiritual people that God wanted them to be. Setting up all kinds of special programs so that people would be willing to at least pray. Or setting up special programs so that people would at least read their Bibles and follow something of a spiritual course. I just don't think they had to do that. 
And, and it's not so much our faults as much as the fact that our, our culture has done a number on us. Our culture has told us that the church is something other than what it really is. We think in institutional terms. We think in terms of attending here on Sunday morning because we have some kind of obligation to do so. And there's no obligation here. What there should be is a desire within our hearts to simply be and to do what God wants us to do and to be so that our spiritual lives are really our lives. My sense of the early church is that that's how they were. So when Jesus left the earth, no one had to convince the 120 who were faithful ones after he rose again and that continued to meet in Jerusalem after he ascended. No one had to convince them that they needed to constantly pray. They just got together and did it. The apostles, all the brothers and sisters, they just met together constantly, the Bible says, in about verse 14 of chapter 1 in Acts, they constantly got together and prayed. Why? Because that's just who they were. Their lives were devoted to God. Prayer like that was just who they were. After 3,000 people were baptized, no one had to persuade the new believers to meet every day in the temple courts and to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Nobody had to say to those 3,000, come on now, you've got a responsibility. You need to measure up here to what Jesus wants you to be. And they didn't have to say that to them because these people had all of a sudden given their lives completely to Jesus. Complete devotion. Nothing could have stopped them from meeting together every day and praying like that. No one had to walk the church through the tax benefits that everyone would get if they give 10% of their income to the Lord's work. There were no tax benefits. When they took their land and sold it and half of that money went to the church to support the Lord's work, no tax benefits. What do we do? They just gave. No one had to try and motivate the Christians to prioritize fellowship so that they would meet at least weekly and spend time with a fellowship group of believers. They just gathered, knowing how badly they needed each other. One of the things I find least attractive about full-time ministry after a few years of doing this now is the way that churches have become marketing centers and dispensers of programs, promoters of religion and religious engagement, trying to convince people that what the church offers is worthy of their time and attention. Sometimes trying simply to complete, compete with other churches to see who can offer the most attractive set of programs. And while I understand our interests in attending a church because they have the most attractive set of programs, I get that. When a church has the most exciting worship, they have the most exciting ministry opportunities, of course we'd want to be at a church like that. But I would like to think that Christians are involved in the church because they can't do anything else. 
because they are driven, because they are compelled by the Spirit to be a part of that church and its ministry. I'd like to think that Christians are involved in the church because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they hear God's call to serve with this body of believers. Not because they wish to be pacified or humored or entertained. But because in the church they find an avenue for making their lives into living sacrifices to the Lord Jesus. And now we're talking about spirituality. Now we're talking about what it means to have the Holy Spirit alive in the church. When our hearts and our lives are filled with His Spirit to the point where this life together just flows out of us. And to be with each other and serving one another, blessing one another is for us life. Oh, may God fill us that that's the kind of spiritual people we are. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, here I am praying to you an act of spiritual worship. And you're there listening. You hear me right now. As I, as I pray and as I have spoken this morning, you're here present with us. Help us to recognize that. And God, I pray that you would so be present in our hearts and our minds, our lives that you're like living water and living bread and we can't live without you. And bless our church, Father, not that we'll be some kind of institution, but that we will live out authentic spiritual life together as we together honor and praise you and lift you up and find you right at the center of our existence. God, help that so much to be the case. And be with us today in just a few moments as we get back together and, and turn our thoughts to you, our words to you. Bless our, our time of prayer together, God, that it will be rich and fruitful. Help us to always be the kind of people who, who just live uh, to gather with others and to praise and worship and to pray to you. We pray these things through Jesus.